This morning we're continuing our sermon series, Centred. So this is a series, actually we're in part three, that we've been working through over the past year, where we're slowly working through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew's Gospel. The heart of this series is kind of, as we look at the world around us, as we look at our own lives, there's a lot of different things that are pulling for our attention, for our loyalty, that actually there are a lot of places that we can put our security, our safety, our identity. And in the midst of this, we're wanting to say, actually, as followers of our Christ, we want our lives to be centered on the person of Jesus and his words. That actually it's worthwhile spending a decent amount of time in Jesus' most significant teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, that as we meditate on his words, we'll be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So we're in part three, and in this kind of section, we've been looking at the spiritual disciplines. In the previous section, we looked at kind of the negative behaviors that we have and looking at our heart motivations behind them. And this section, actually looking at those positive practices, looking at prayer, looking at fasting, looking at giving to the poor, these positive practices that we do, but actually looking at our motivations behind why we do them, that they can be seem like positive outward things, but actually we can have hearts that have the wrong motivations and go about it in the wrong kind of ways. So on week one, we looked at giving to the poor. What does it look like to be a people who give to the poor with hearts to see God's kingdom come in that? Last week, Brett Jones, our national superintendent, came and spoke to us about prayer. And this morning, I want to speak from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, on the practice of fasting. So if you've got a Bible with you, or you've got a phone, uh, if you want to open up to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So these practices that we've been looking at, these practices of giving to the poor, of prayer, of fasting. There's this assumption in how Jesus talks about all of them, that we're doing them, that it's not if you fast, if you pray, if you give to the poor. It's always when, that as the people of God, these are practices that's assumed that we're doing. And actually for the Jesus' audience, for the Jewish people, this is actually part of their common practice. The people he's speaking to, this is what they would have done. They actually, for them, it had kind of become this common practice if you're a Jew that you fasted on a Monday and a Thursday. That you would skip breakfast and you would skip lunch. Those are two days that you'd fast every week. Just kind of the part of the common life, part of the common practice. And this comes up in the Gospels when you see Jesus describing a Pharisee praying and the Pharisee prayed, thank God that I fast two days a week, unlike these other people, that this is a common practice for pious Jews. And actually the early church took this and said, this is something worth carrying on. This is a practice fasting that is worthwhile. There's something in this. 
So for the early church, figuring out what it meant to be a follower of Christ, they thought, we want to keep this fasting thing, but probably inspired by our passage this morning, we don't want it to be obvious. We don't want people to necessarily know that we're fasting because that defeats the purpose. So they changed the days. So they, early church, fasted on a Wednesday and a Friday, skipped breakfast, skipped lunch. That was kind of part of the practice of what it meant to be a follower of Christ in the early church. And then later on, John Wesley kind of faded. John Wesley, though, kind of who our movement follows after as Wesleyan Methodists, kind of brought this back in and said, for his people who followed after his teaching, it was a good idea to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Not that everyone had to do it, but hey, this might be worthwhile for your discipleship journey that you practice this fasting. And actually, for him, he wouldn't ordain a minister under him unless they did this, unless they fasted on a Wednesday and a Friday every week. He wouldn't ordain them. This was something that he saw as pretty essential to actually being a follower of Christ. So there's this assumption that this is something that the people of God do. So then as we turn to the passage, kind of, okay, what are our motivations? Why and how do we do this? And we get this, like, refrain that's actually similar to the other practices that we're not to do it as the hypocrites do it not to do it as the pharisees do it where it's about outward where it speaks here of the hypocrites disfigure their faces to show others are fasting and instead the invitation is to put oil on your head and wash your face which is essentially saying to a first for someone in first century Palestine, that's part of their just like morning cleanliness routine. Before you leave the house, you put on your clothes, you put oil on your head, you wash your face. So invitation is for us in fasting and spiritual disciplines and seasons of our life where it feels like, oh, God is calling us into something that's challenging, that's difficult, that there's a bit of struggle and wrestle in it, to not kind of get this easy reward of making it look like it's hard for the affirmation of others that we're still supposed to, when we get up, have our shower. If we've got hair, brush our hair. <laughs> brush our teeth. Kind of still engage in these practices. It's not like go out of the house disheveled so other people will notice. And this is kind of obvious, and most of us wouldn't go for this such overt way of receiving praise. But I think if we reflect on it, in the hard seasons of life when it feels like, man, this is rough, it can be easy, I think, to seek moments of quick, easy relief, to feel like, oh, I just need a little pick-me-up. I've maybe been called to fasting, and this is rough. Maybe if I just tell someone, I haven't eaten in a few hours, I'm feeling really hungry, they'll, be, they'll tell me, man, that's impressive, and then it'll give me a little, little boost. And it can be easy in these difficult practices to just get that little bit of affirmation from others just to kind of push us through. And Jesus is challenging us in this and saying, if you seek those cheap, easy reliefs, you'll get your reward. You will get praise from others, but that is all that you will receive. The reward won't be worth it. The fruit that we get is only praise. And as we think about fasting culturally, or as I think about it, as I reflect and look at the world around, I think it has something to speak into our world, into our culture. As I think about the pressures that are put on us to live highly managed lives in relation to our body, in relation to our food, to our fitness, to our exercise, 
there's this expectation that our bodies are this resource that we have to manage very carefully. That there's something about physical conditioning for to do anything in your body that might deteriorate it, that might be a, there's this, uh, there's this culture of high maintenance, high care of our physical being that I think treats our bodies as this resource to use rather than this holistic sense of who we are. And fasting, I think, can speak into this. If fasting is more than just this dieting technique, like, it's more than intermittent fasting, you're not just, we don't just, you may get good health benefits if you fast on a Wednesday and a Friday and skip those meals. You may, you're eating less calories and may have some positive impacts. But that's not, if you're going into that for those kind of purposes, you've missed the heart, the point, the vision of fasting. That fasting, I think, connects us with our our bodies in far more important ways. Richard Foster, when he speaks about fasting, kind of talks around these two motivations for fasting, two positive motivations. And the first that he talks about is that fasting reveals to us what controls us. That if you've ever given up something, maybe it's food, maybe in a season of Lent you gave up watching TV, or like maybe you gave up coffee. The idea of why we do these things, why we stop these things, aren't to get control of it, aren't to be like, come out of a season of Lent, being like, I'm going to watch less TV now. That season kind of got me sorted, and now I'm more in control. The idea of a season of fasting or a season of Lent is that we actually become aware of things that control us in ways we don't even realize. That's like, oh man, actually, I gave up that thing and I realized how often my like default position was to go to it. That's fasting is this practice that we become aware more and more of actually what controls us and we're probably more vulnerable more controlled by other things than we often realize. And we become aware of that as we fast. So that's the second, that's the first thing, but he actually calls it the secondary purpose. So there is a purpose of fasting that is about you learn what controls you, become aware of that. But actually the primary focus of fasting is that it focuses us on God, that it is an act of worship, an act of prayer, it is an act of pointing our lives towards God, that fasting should not be this kind of self-seeking look, kind of down, how am I going, how's my body dealing with it? It should be a practice that points us towards God. It should be God-focused. John Wesley talks about it as fasting is not a way to earn merit with God, but a way that God has ordained. We wait for God's unmerited mercy. That fasting isn't this practice where we give up food, being like, okay, if I do this, God, then you're going to make this thing happen for me. No, it's a period where we sit before God, vulnerable, hungry, and wait on God. Wait before God for Him to move, for Him to work. And actually, as we look through, particularly the Old Testament, as we look through Scripture, fasting probably actually looks quite different to how most of us would think about it or understand it. It's not a particularly like ritual time practice through scripture. There's kind of a few exceptions. So like the people of God in the Old Testament are encouraged to fast before the Day of Atonement. 
this day where you bring your sins before God, you're expected to fast before that, which is again this practice of becoming aware of what controls you, your own fallenness, your own brokenness, so that you can bring that before God. But actually, most fasting in the Old Testament is a bit spontaneous and quite responsive to the to the world and to our awareness of the world of God and ourselves, that actually fasting in the Old Testament is a response to when the people of God, collectively or individually, experience or see death, threat of war, their own sin, their neediness, and a sense of when they see, they have the sense of fear of God's judgment before them. We get in the Psalms, the psalmist talks about praying and interceding and fasting for enemies who are about to attack. It's often paired fasting with weeping. In 2 Samuel, it talks about when Saul and Jonathan were killed, the people of God wept and fasted. That King Ahab, when judgment was spoken over him, when he was called out as being an evil king, his response was to tear his clothes and to fast. Nehemiah the prophet, when he came back to a broken Jerusalem, his response was to weep and to fast. Daniel prayed and fasted. The Ninevites, when Jonah, with his message of judgment for the Ninevites, went to the city of Nineveh and said, you have done evil, God is going to judge you. Their response was to pray and to fast. That there's something of fasting that's actually a response that when something, when we experience or see something of evil, of death, of our own fallenness, brokenness, the natural response that should come out is to fast. Fasting isn't this practice where we're achieving anything. It's actually often quite responsive. There's this great quote from Scott McKnight, which I think sums this up. And he says, the focus of the Bible on fasting is not on what we get from fasting or on motivating people to fast in order to acquire something, but instead land squarely on responding to sacred moments in life. That these moments where we encounter death, pain, sorrow, struggle, are sacred moments, and fasting draws us into that. That as we experience those moments, if we just go on normal life, feasting, eating, it kind of just pushes all that stuff down and ignores it and we miss what is actually happening and what God might actually be doing. And that it's a holistic response, that when we experience these kind of situations, we're not just called to think about them to talk about them, but it's something that we use all of ourselves, that fasting encapsulates our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit, are all caught up and engaging with this. I think this is kind of captured, the prophet Isaiah captures it when he talks about fasting. In Isaiah 58, he says, kind of it says, the Israelite people, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. 
You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? That fasting is a practice, a spiritual practice that isn't just about getting God to do what we want, just humbling ourselves so he will do what we want. Instead it says, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Fasting here is painted as this picture of you notice the poor, you notice the world, you're entering into the brokenness of our world. And in the midst of that, it says, as we do that, as we engage with that through fasting, then your light will break forth. The glory of the Lord will appear. That that is the motivation for fasting. There's this great moment in British history, which surprised me when I learned about this week, where in the 18th century, they were under threat from the French. The French, they thought, were going to invade. And the king called for a day of solemn prayer and fasting, that we're going to be invaded. This is rough. The response is to fast. And on February 6th, they fasted. And John Wesley recorded in his journal, the fast day was a glorious day, such as London was scarce seen since the restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. And later he wrote, humility has turned into national rejoicing, for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. That for a whole country, they realized what the situation was and their response was to fast and in the midst of that God moved that prayer is not this prayer fasting these disciplines are not a way of twisting God's arm but they're a way of entering into our dependence becoming more aware of our dependence and need for God there's this story that I love at the start of Luke's gospel when you look through the Gospels, the people that I get fascinated by are the ones who notice who Jesus is. Like most people are kind of unaware of his importance, but every now and again you get people like the woman at the well who register, maybe not initially, but eventually, oh, this is who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. He is our Savior. Those are important people because they've got something that they notice, they pick up on it. And we get it at the start of Luke's gospel with the prophetess Anna. She had lived with her husband for seven, she's an elderly woman, she's 84. She'd lived with her husband, but he'd passed away. And so she'd spent the rest of her life at the temple, worshiping day and night, fasting and praying. Her life was a life of fasting wrapped up her worship was fasting not to necessarily get anything from god but her life was orientated towards worship fasting prayer adoration of god and she gets this beautiful reward of she is one of the people that notices jesus 
Not that this was the reason she did it, but Jesus turns up at the temple as a child and she notices him. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. That this spiritual practice of fasting had opened herself up to what God was doing in the world around her. And she noticed what he was up to. That Jesus turned up and she was aware of it. Is that not a better reward than the praise of others that we heard about? When you fast to be noticed and get praised by others, that, if you want that reward, that reward's there to be praised by others. But the other reward that is offered is to notice when God is moving and working and get to be part of, play a part in that. Isn't that worthy? Isn't that a worthy prize? Isn't that a worthy reward? And as we look, as we think about actually what fasting could look like for us, I want to turn to Mark's gospel where he talks, he's talking with the disciples and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are criticizing Jesus and his disciples because they don't fast. And his response is, this isn't the appropriate time to fast. When Jesus is among you, fasting is not an appropriate response. But Jesus is going to go and he says, then the appropriate time is to fast awaiting Jesus' return. And I think for us, there is something of fasting as followers of Christ is this yearning, this anticipation of we know, we see the brokenness within ourselves, within our world. We need Jesus to return, to come and restore all things. And we're going to work out in a few weeks' time, actually what fasting could look like practically in a lot more detail. Coming up at the well, we're going to, end of July, do 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. Something we've never done before, but we're going to give it a go as a church. We're going to work through actually what does it look like for us as a church community to fast, to become aware of our brokenness, our dependence, our need for God to anticipate his return, to want to see him work in areas of our lives, in our community, in our world. But there's a few practical things I want to kind of piece today. So, if you think, actually, I want to give this fasting thing a go, my encouragement is to start, pick a day of the week, and skip one meal. Just skip lunch, maybe. Just skip that meal for a few weeks. Once you feel like, okay, I can do this, Maybe up it to what was the common Hebrew fast, skip breakfast and skip lunch of a day. Give that a go. Give that a go for a few weeks. If you feel like, okay, I can manage this, I'd encourage you to come have a chat. There's some other kind of, when you start lengthening it, you c- there are ways to do it wisely and well. But I encourage you, if you've never practiced fasting before, to give it a go. In the midst that I do want to say, practicing fasting, there's kind of a, it's for the church community, but often children, young people, and those who have a seriously dysfunctional relationship with food, actually it may not be helpful fasting. It may not point you towards God. It may just reinforce unhealthy things that are there. And there are other ways that you can go, engage with God and his grace. But for the, the rest of us, 
I would encourage you to participate in this fasting practice, to give it a go. And remember this invitation of, it is often in scripture a response to death, to brokenness, to sin, to this messy, ugly stuff of life. And I'll invite us this morning as we come to the communion table. Is there an area in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your community, in the world at large, that actually, as you sit and reflect on it, maybe the appropriate response is to fast, whatever that looks like. I know for me, when I encounter those things, when I encounter death, there is a natural response you don't want to eat. And I think there's something like physiologically in there of like fight flight response of like keeping yourself safe. But I wonder if there's also something of there of an invitation of actually the appropriate response to these situations is to fast before God, become aware of your neediness and dependence on him. And I wonder this morning, is there any, is there something in your life that God is saying actually maybe the invitation is to fast? And we do that because as we come to the communion table, we come to a place, we come to the meal that is actually the only meal that satisfies, that we fast aware that food never fully satisfies us, that Jesus calls himself the bread of life, the one whose sustenance gives eternal life in the way that nothing else will, that this is a table where we can find that. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And later in the meal, he took a cup and said, this cup is a sign of the new covenant. Every time that you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you celebrate my death until I rise again. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sent something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.